Welcome to Remodel Your Life. We are shining the light on women working in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female cabinet maker in California in bringing together kitchen remodeling and working with your hands for a living. Welcome your host, Camille Finan. When we left Shannon last, she was just learning how to apply and use color in glass, a very complex and advanced technique. But she still hadn't found her place, her tribe, and right place to really blossom. So let's pick up the story now and find out how she became the queen of the Renaissance Fair and built a thriving glassblowing business around her new skill. She learned how to make money with this. She discovered what really worked for her. And she built a tribe of fellow craftsmen. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Specifically, you've done a lot with the Renaissance Fair, like the real actual one. So I was hoping right. you could share some stories. I know you're not doing it exactly right now. You have another big project you do once a year. But right. can you just sort of share your years of working with the Renaissance Fair and how you set those events up and how many people were involved and that whole time period of your life? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's one of my favorite sayings. And so sometimes I'll sit and think about what am I going to do? And back when I first started, you know, I didn't have a lot of business. So I was like, well, I better fix this. Otherwise I'm going to be out of business. And uh, the really great months for glass blowers are word November, December, because of all the holiday ornaments, the friendship balls, the Christmas ornaments, whatever you call. It. And it's the biggest sort of purchasing time of the year. People want to buy gifts and uh, the demographics for glass blowing is typically, you know, 30 to 65, 70 year old women. And they love it because obviously it's beautiful and it's transparent and color and it's a great gift. Okay. Well, that was two and three months of my year. And I was like, well, what am I going to do the rest of the time? And I looked around and I'd been going to a Renaissance fair over in Novato, California, and I fell in love. And then I used to take some of my little glasses with me, you know, in a little backpack. And I'd go around and I'd meet another person who made hand stuff by hand. And I was like, hey, you want to trade? And they're like, yeah, what do you got? And I'm like, well, and I pulled out my little tumblers and they're like, these are great. <laughs> I was like, well, let's trade. And so we trade for like a leather bound book or something like that. And then pretty soon after the third person saw my work, they're like, you should, you should apply to the Renaissance fair. And I was like, uh, I should. And they're like, yeah, you'd be great. And I was like, okay. So I did. And I didn't hear anything for about a year. And then I got this call and said, Hey, we really like your work, but it seems a little similar. Can you come down in oh, two weeks to the Renaissance fair in Southern California? And I'm like, I can. And I went to my mentor. I said, Hey, I need to make some more goblets. And he's like, okay, let's do it. He's always said, yes. Actually, he only said, he said what, no once to me, but uh, I was building a furnace when I had just started. But he, anyway, he's like, yeah. So of course I get enthusiastic and, you know, the ball rolls and we make a bunch of glass and I pack it up and I'm really nervous because I've never really done anything much other than a couple of local shows. So I pack this glass up and I take it out and I meet them and I'm they're like, okay, well, 
yeah, thanks for the glass and go, go, here's a pass and go walk around the Renaissance fair and have some fun and come back in five hours. And I was like, okay. So I did the same thing. I had my little pack and I had my glasses and I traded and unbeknownst to me, all those people that had, I'd ever traded with were kind of the people who were mentoring me, but they didn't tell me, they forgot to tell me, <laughs> they <had> kind of <laughs> they forgot to tell me that, Hey, we're going to get you into this thing. And so these guys were all on the kind of the review board. That's what they I was all, thinking. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. They all had to have a say so on any new artist that came in. And so unbeknownst to me, everybody I'd ever traded with mm-hmm. uh, was on this review board. So I was like, oh, and they told me a year later, they're like, yeah, we wanted you to be here. So we kind of all rallied. And I was like, that's so sweet and awesome. And so we went for a walk and uh, the, the craft coordinator at the time, she's like, okay, let's go take a walk in your new home, your new, you know, your new home and let's find your, you know, let's go ahead and say hi to your new family. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you're accepted into the Renaissance fair. And I was like, yay. And I said, well, I want to share something else with you. And she's like, yeah, what's that? I said, well, now that you've accepted me on my artistic merit, I want to offer that. I want to do a live demonstration. And she's like, excuse me. I said, yeah, I want to do a live demonstration. I know you had one, but now you don't. And I saw that and I went home, you know, and built a furnace. And she's like, what? She's like, how come you didn't tell me before? I said, well, I kind of wanted you to accept me on my artistic merit first as a glass blower, and not just as someone who would do a demonstration. Like they're a little separate. So she's like, you're kidding. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do a demonstration obviously, and obviously sell my glass. So that was the very beginning. So went home and I asked my mentor to help me build a furnace. And he's like, sure. (laughs) So we (laughs) built one. And in the meantime, while it was being built, I got this great opportunity to go to Corning and go take this class from James Nowak, the super generous Mm -hmm. guy I spoke about earlier. Yeah. Right. So all this came to happen and, and I got a free ticket. Somebody had a plane ticket and they gave it to me, and uh, uh, and then the story goes. I literally had what I have. I had forty dollars. I paid. I was staying at a house, a, some person's house. It was like a hundred dollars a week because I don't really care for hotels. I'd rather sleep with friend, yeah, a friend's house, or I travel, so I sleep in my van. I had make my little cubby. So I was back in Corning, New York, and I had literally twenty dollars to my name. I paid for my rent. So I was like, all right, I got 20 bucks and I better go get a loaf of bread, some peanut butter and jelly and, you know, typical. So I did. And this woman, her name was Sharon and, you know, quirky little bird back in Corning and she had a hair salon. Okay. So I go back and forth and I walk back and forth, but I'm clever. And I bring two pounds of coffee because the teacher was from Seattle and he loved his coffee. And so I made sure that I could make him these lattes just as a generous, hey, I'm here. Thank you for teaching me. And then, so I got one kid to take me back and forth to school because I made him a latte, right? Because it was a walk. It was like two miles. It wasn't a big deal. But so anyway, so on the dinner hour, everybody go off to these restaurants and I had my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I asked the instructor, James, I said, hey, do you mind if I blow glass? And he's, I want to practice what you taught us. And he's like, sure. So every night I bring home this glass from the day before. And I'd show it to Sharon. She's like, oh my gosh, is this stuff for sale? I'm like, no, Sharon, these are my practice pieces. She's like, yeah, they're for sale. I'm like, no, they're not. I'm going to take them back and I'm going to give them to my friends who like are feeding my dogs and taking care of my house. So I come back the next day and all my, all my stuff is gone. 
And she's like, she goes, Hey, I ate some of your cookies. Now, mind you, that's my only little box of cookies. And I had bananas and <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. So I'm living off of 20 bucks. Right. Well, I look at the thing and she goes, yeah, I sold all your glass. And I was like, Sharon, those were practice pieces. She goes, yeah, well, your next week's rent is paid. And I took my cut and there's 40 bucks. So keep bringing glass home. (laughs) (laughs) So this woman would, so then I got, I was like, shit, if I keep giving her all my glass, I'm not going to have anything to take back to my friend. So anyway, the moral of the story is, is that if you practice and you do what you love, people will find that love and that passion somewhere in that glass, even though it's beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. So by the time I left Corning, New York for my very first class, I left with $350 in my pocket. I had paid for everything. And uh, I came home with some really beautiful glass and some gifts from the teacher. And it was really just about, here we go again, being um, full of gratitude and being generous. Right. So now I have this really interesting story 23 years later about going to a place, just taking a chance. And I had $20 in my pocket and I came home with like not only a pocket full of change, but some really cool stories and different connections. Mm-hmm. So I go back to the Renaissance Fair. I have this great experience. We get the furnace to the Renaissance Fair. We turn it on and I just start. So I, I've never really made uh, at this point, I've never really made a, a goblet. And so my, my mentor taught me, my mentor's name is Andre Gaillet. And uh, so he taught me how to make goblets. And so we'd make goblets during the week and I'd take them to the Renaissance fair on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, we'd get there Friday, we'd turn the furnace on, we'd demonstrate. And, you know, the, the Renaissance fair wasn't paying us to be there. They were just happy that we were there. And we just demonstrated all day long. We just made little stuff. We kept our demonstrations short and sweet. And we put this bowl on the Marver table. It said ice fund, right? Cause it was, pretty hot and we were in full renaissance costumes and i invited all my friends from my rugby team and my softball team to help me and i got them clothes and we all just tried to do the renaissance thing and we were pretty naive and pretty young about it and then i heard there was a contest that you put in your best piece all the craft people did it right and uh so i made this really good got really great goblet for me at the time and i was going to present it to the queen because it got third place And I was like, oh, I'm going to give it to the queen because that's what you do around here, right? Because I was just trying to, you know, play fair, as they call it. Well, you know, as innocent as that was, what it did was I had no idea. And sometimes I'd like to think I was really clever. And sometimes it's just I'm just not that clever. I just wanted to share, right? So it ends up once I give the goblet to the queen, since the queen had a goblet, Everybody on the planet needed a goblet after that because then they, and I made them in colors to match their outfits and I made them, uh, you know, it just went on and on. So my final weekend at the Renaissance Fair, I ended up selling a hundred goblets. And at the time they were just $30 a piece. So it's interesting. You know, I think a lot of people incorporate nonprofits and gestures and kindness and, you know, wanting to help and things like that. And I think if you do it from a pure your motivations are pure. I think that they're, you get the simple act of just sharing and being part of, and then sometimes it just kind of blows up and goes, Hey, mm-hmm. guess how many goblets you get to make next week. <laughs> I get asked frequently to teach to nonprofits, schools, and organizations that are helping kids and people training in the skilled trades. 
and they're looking for some basics about tools. Just this last week, I was teaching some basic hand and power tools to a group of students, and by far, the number one standout tool that everybody was just going crazy over was my Stiletto Titanium 10-ounce hammer. Compared to the hammers they were given, they were just blown away by the difference in weight and yet how powerful it was. No more torn elbow ligaments and shoulder problems. This single tool will dramatically reduce your injuries. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why I love it so much because this series is sponsored by Stiletto, a US-based company that I truly stand behind and it is my absolute favorite tool. I've had my Stiletto hammer for over 20 years and I just love it, but it is a very specific size and shape, specifically the 10 ounce smooth-faced curved hickory handle. It's under $100 and the best purchase you can make. They say it has a stopping power of a 16-ounce hammer, and I can verify that for sure. I can frame all day long with this. So if you already use a traditional hammer, you will love this for sure. And if you're just a beginner starting out, this will be the only hammer you need for life. So let's get into the features and why I love it so much. It's actually become like an extension of my body, so I had to really think about it a bit to list the features. So here goes. Number one, because I'm five foot three, which is short, I have short arms. So this extends my reach another full arm length. And because it weighs almost nothing, it's not heavy, so I can reach out a lot further with no effort. Number two, the weight. Because it weighs almost nothing, it is still super powerful on impact. I can use it for hours and hours with absolutely no arm fatigue at all. This includes demoing an entire kitchen, demoing trim and casework effortlessly, and of course, framing. I use it for installing kitchen cabinets and so many more things. Number three, the straight back claws let me get in close to the wall for demos. They're very narrow and very thin and they get me quickly behind the trim to remove or position cabinets. So many uses for these straight claws and they don't leave any marks on the wall. Number four, the curved hickory handle has this natural place for my hand near the end and makes swinging it a dream. I use so little effort because it has this sort of snap right at the end that that little subtle thing really helps the recoil, which brings me to the next feature. Number five, no recoil. Because it is so light, the titanium has this amazing way of absorbing the recoil and somehow concentrating your power in such an interesting way. I've never used anything like it. Number six, it is so balanced and proportional that it literally feels like it's a part of my arm, kind of like I'm bionic. It makes me feel so powerful and I have had no injuries in 20 plus years from using it. Versus when I first started out in the union, my elbows and shoulders were almost completely shot in just the first couple of years. Number seven, lastly, the grip, which is so important and rarely talked about. Because most women are using a hammer that is too heavy for them, they have to squeeze their hand to hold onto it very tightly, which also creates carpal tunnel syndrome, not to mention torn forearms and elbows. Because it is so light, my grip is only tight enough right at the moment of impact and just enough to hold on to the lightweight handle. This means I have absolutely no hand tension or injury to my wrists. I can work for hours demoing a kitchen, ripping out a floor, removing all the trim in an entire house, and my hands won't feel sore at all. This is a major improvement. I remember going home with numb hands all the time using traditional hammers, and it already developed a pretty severe case of carpal tunnel syndrome. 
This hammer fixed all that for all the reasons above. I just love her so much. And if you'd like to get yours today, please visit the link in our Instagram bio and pick one up and support this show with no extra cost to you. I can't wait to see you post pics of your new stiletto hammer and how you use it. This is my Boss Babe Hammer, and I hope you get yours today. And then from that, what that did was, as far as the Renaissance Fair, is it filled the spring with a show. And then from there, I built, I started taking everybody's names and address, all very organic and clearly before, literally before the internet and cell phones and Instagram and all, and this podcast, all this stuff. And all I did was I kept their names and numbers and, and I used to do snail mail and I used to make a really pretty postcard and I just kind of followed that organic path of how I sell things and how I make connections. And I think that what the Renaissance Fair taught me, besides I had a whole slew of great mentors, is networking and really making some great connections. And, you know, people will want to buy a gift a couple times a year, whether it's a wedding or the holiday or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but I think when they have a trustworthy place to go, like, Hey, I've got, you know, my cousins are getting married and, uh, they really love the ocean. I'm like, all right, I got it. I'm going to go home and make some glasses that have like this ocean color influence. And so that began to kind of snowball. And, uh, from that, you know, years and years, I was invited to, to go to another Renaissance fair. And that was back in the Midwest. And I was like, okay, here we go on another adventure. And again, I didn't know really what I was in for, but it turned out to be um, the biggest show of my career. And then it was time for me to evolve past that. And I took all those names and numbers I collected all those years, and I started this event. It's an all-glass pumpkin patch at the Morton Arboretum. So I don't do Renaissance fairs anymore. Um, I think I shifted because my mom was getting, you know, I needed to be the daughter that wasn't always on the road doing shows. And so I needed to find a way to be a really good daughter and take care of home responsibilities. And I was on the road for a while, but I wouldn't have exchanged that time for anything because I got to meet other like-minded folks that were kind and generous and really, really good at what they did whether it was um, making clothes or making shoes or wood turning or whatever it was, they were just all real. It's a very interesting culture through the Renaissance fairs. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, buy and sell influence, but boy, when you can find the handcrafted folks, they are just, you know, really amazing friends. I'll, they'll be in my life till I leave the planet. But what I realized about marketing was it was about being able to look somebody in the eye that, and be able to say, hey, I made this for you, or I made this because you asked me to, and having that purpose. And I think when you can identify that, that's worth, well, the little bricks of gold that were gifted to me. I think that I never, I did wholesale for a while, and it was okay. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I like to make glass. Uh, but what I really found is I don't know if I want to make thousands and thousands of pieces of glass, I want to make glass that's connected. And so I really identified that early on. And so I do this Renaissance, or I did the Renaissance fair and then I started this glass pumpkin patch, but I needed glass blowers. And, so, before and I needed you, so before you get to the Morton thing though, I want to just um, wrap yeah. up the, 
I want to wrap up the Renaissance one um, because I know sure. your numbers were, were pretty pretty impressive. How sure. many how many relative years did you do the large scale um, Renaissance fair in in the Midwest? I did that for fifteen years, and uh, the yeah, and I had probably by the time I ended there, I probably had on record probably about three thousand clients that would you know I would send them a postcard, so it was expensive and. The marketing was there, but, um, and about how I, many people would go to that Renaissance fair or would come to your booth? Oh, you know, I was considered the number one draw for a long time and considered, um, probably one of the best in the country. And, you know, that's by other people's admission. I just mm-hmm. loved what I did. You know, we had a garden and we had different sales. We didn't really sell people. We just directed them. Like I had a full-time narrator and we would just demonstrate like twice on the hour. We started at 1030 and we just demonstrated. And I knew I was, I was clever enough to get out of my own way. I, I was, I always say I'm a glass messenger because the glass in itself was, it was my job or what I felt like what I could do well was just present it in a, you know, just let glass sell itself because when done well, or even done you know, obviously from year to year, I got better and better and we would always tweak our demonstrations, but we were doing, you know, two demonstrations on the hour for six and eight hours a day and people would just gather and I would have a narration and then the sales folks were right there, but they never said, Hey, how can I help you? What can, you know, if you have any questions, it was basically like, Hey, welcome to the garden, (laughs) you know? And and then I would take some questions and answers because people are obviously very curious. And so it was just about being open and being, you know, and obviously if I didn't know, we used to say, well, if I don't know the answer, we'll make one up. And, you know, people chuckle and there's always, you know, a sense of humor somewhere in there. But I think that the Renaissance Fair really taught me how to connect to people. And it really taught me that, you know, paying somebody to market you if they don't have an idea of who you are it kind of falls flat. And mm-hmm. so I just did the weird little organic make it up as I go kind of marketing. And it turned into, you know, I was doing, Oh gosh, well, final year. I was almost like 80, $90,000 for these really cool eight weekends, nine weekends. And so that part was awesome. Mm-hmm. So the reward was there, but the reward for me was also the connections, which is obviously I want to say invaluable mm-hmm. and timeless, if you will, you know, cause that, that was always like, Hey, I have a reason why I'm making these goblets and it's a hundred and whatever outside and the humidity is terrible. And here I am at 10 o'clock and people would come by our studio during the week and be like, you're the hardest working girl we know. And I was like, thanks for that. And they're like, it's so hot. How do you do it? And I'm like, well, I don't remind myself every five minutes for one. <laughs> uh, cause it's a pretty grueling you know, thing, but I knew I was going to, I was in, you know, you kind of lock your brain in. I'm going to do 12 pieces today or whatever. And I just follow, and I just kind of, fortunately my right brain doesn't have a big temperature gauge in it. And so once you're in the moment, it's kind of like when you're working out, you're like, ah, I'm sweating and blah, blah, blah. It's miserable. And, but the benefit is really there. So, so blowing glass in that humidity, there was a payoff. It was worth it. So after learning how she built her business and how successful she was in the Renaissance Fair, I just kept thinking, why is art important? It is just glass, right? Why do some of us value the trades and working with our hands? Others might value the output we create, or some might not value it at all. 
So I thought I'd have a conversation with an expert. Join me next week as we dive deep into these questions and stay tuned for a final interview with Shannon, where we discover why she left this very lucrative business model and started a brand new venture in glass, this time truly in the driver's seat. See you next week. for listening to Remodel Your Life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at RemodelYourLifePodcast.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life Podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. Mm -hmm.